Exhaustible subject, amen. And once you take your Bibles once again, and we're going to go to 1 John chapter 3. And uh, I would say that if we were to list uh, the ten most difficult to understand passages in the Bible, uh, the one we are dealing with tonight would be uh, number one or two or three, certainly certainly right there, this is a passage that uh, many people have, have stumbled at, and uh, I'm not going to promise you that we're going to answer every question tonight. Uh, part of the problem is that there are just certain passages in the Bible that are worded difficultly, and uh, I believe they're done so under the influence and direction of the Holy Spirit to cause us to stop and read things a little more carefully and to search the Scriptures a little more carefully. Not everything is just super simple in the Bible. The greatest things are. It is simple to understand how to be saved. And if we will take the parts of this passage that deal with our salvation and how we live, it then does become very simple. Yet there are some parts of this that that we have to uh, let the Lord carry the responsibility of those things and don't let the difficulty persuade us or dissuade us, I should say, from following what is clearly understood. This is one of the rules of understanding the Bible. Never take a difficultly worded passage over a simple worded passage. When the Bible says something very clear, we do not go to a part of the Bible where it's unclear and try to clarify things. We go the opposite. We start where it's very clear and go to the complex part. And uh, we have to understand that This is God's Word. Amen? And that there are no contradictions in the Bible. And so let's just read through this passage. We're going to start in verse 4, 1 John chapter 3. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for the sin, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning." For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, the children and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye had heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother... Abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, 
and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Now, we've taken just about that whole chapter there because it is really one continuous thought. If you try to break it up any smaller, what is going to happen is you're going to have the opportunity to run amok on parts of the passage that are difficult. And so, let's start out with the simple first. Verse 4 Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Now, that word transgress is a very simple word. Uh, it's a big word, but it, it just means to go over. We have the word transmission because in a car it takes the energy from the engine and converts it and puts it to the drive wheels. That's why you get to go. Uh, if you've ever been in a car where the transmission went kaput, uh, you just sat there because nothing was moving. Now, when we transgress the law, we step over the boundaries. We step outside the limits of the law. You see, God's law determines what sin is and what sin isn't. You know, we, we live in a world where people want to get to the part of this passage, if your heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. Well, I've actually had people sit in my office and say, my heart doesn't condemn me. I'm living with my boyfriend and we love each other. And we know that the Bible says we ought to be married, but we have no condemnation from God on that. And so we're going to do it. And I had to just simply say, not in this church. Because you see, God has some very clear passages and whether your heart condemns you or not, God's Word does. You see, when we get to that difficult passage about our heart condemning us and confidence in our heart, we need to understand that it's in the context of what is clearly delineated in the law of God. And no matter how good you feel about something, that is not what determines right or wrong because once you step over the boundaries of God's law, you have sinned. That's how simple that is. And this is the foundational truth that will put the rest of this into a proper understanding. You know, there, there are people that try to go through this passage and teach that in order to truly be saved, you must reach a point of sinless perfection. And yet, if you were to press them just a little bit, well, well, not actually sinless, but pretty close. Uh, well, and that's predicated on a false understanding of this passage right here. And again, I want to just give you a context for this. We just finished chapter 2. What was the last half of chapter 2 about? The spirit of Antichrist. The difference between the true Christ and the false Christ. Remember the true Christ? It's the same commandment. He alluded to it, alludes to it again here in chapter 3 that you've had from the beginning. It's not a new one, but I'm writing it to you as a new one because we need to spend some time with this thing. And John has a way of repeating himself. 
And he repeats himself in such a way that you have to stop and say, what did he say? Well, I believe that's of the Holy Spirit of God because we, we need to stop. We get used to the Scriptures. How many of you have read through your Bible enough that you almost have it memorized? Certain passages, I'm sure, and you can just sit there and zip through the page well, you can't do that with First John. You know why? Because John says the same thing, but he says it a little different. And you just, whoa, wait a minute. And that's what God wants us to do here. Chapter 2 is the difference between true Christ and the false Christ. Chapter 3 is the difference between the true believer and the false believer. Chapter 4 is the difference between the true work of the Holy Spirit and a false spirit or a seducing spirit. And, and, and so John is really, um, has so much in this little book. It, it just behooves us to, to, to do this. And tonight I'm not sure how we're going to handle the whole thing, but I, I want us to at least get an overview on the entire chapter. And, and if we don't cover certain things sufficiently, we'll, come back in following weeks and try to fill in some of the gaps, but we need to get a hold of this, is sin is transgressing, is stepping over the boundary of God's law. And verse 5 says, very simply, very in order, and we, and ye know that he, Jesus, was manifested, he was born uh, in Bethlehem's manger, he lived a sinless life. People watched him when Jesus was on trial before uh, the Pharisees and the high priest. He said, you've heard me teach in the temple. Ask the people that heard me what I said. And he was uh, commanded to be slapped on the mouth for being impertinent, uh, insulting to the high priest. And Jesus wasn't at all. What he was trying to do was draw attention to the fact that they knew very well why Jesus was there. And they eventually got around to it, didn't they? As the high priest stood up, put aside all the clamor and said, Tell us if you're the Christ. You see, they knew that Jesus taught that he is the very Son of God. They knew that. They just didn't believe that, nor did they want to believe that, nor were they willing to accept that. And so, we have here that Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. And here we get the next phrase that will, that will make sure that things align properly. You have to get this one. And in Him, in Jesus, is no sin. How many would say amen to that? Jesus never once sinned. Amen? In Him is no sin. 1 John 1, 5, In Him is no what? Darkness. He's, he's telling us the same things again. There is nothing in God that is wrong. And yet, how many times have you heard people say, well, Believe in the Bible, that's pretty good. But if you get too much of it, 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 it'll make you weird. I mean, you've heard somebody say that. I mean, come on. Am I the only one? Yeah. I mean, you, you, that's the world's standard operating procedure. You cannot be radicalized into doing something wrong by reading your Bible. You see, that's what this passage is teaching. And yet, how many people have held a Bible in their hand and done some horrific deed? How many Catholic priests held a Bible in their hand and burned people alive on a pile of Bibles? Using this book as the very fire starter. 
because they wanted to have a Bible in their language and they refused to have the priest interpretation of it be the final word. And by the way, many times the priest could not even read the Bible he burned. Does that make sense to anybody? You know, there were wars fought. And I, I, would, I would want to tell you that this entire thing of jihad that, that is part of Islam was developed because it was the only way Muhammad could guarantee additions to his church, his organization. Are, are we together there? Uh, he would go in and he would teach people and they would say, ah, oh, it's another religion. So he'd go in and kill everybody that uh, uh, argued with him and everybody said, ah, oh, Muhammad has the truth. You know why? Because he didn't want to die. What kind of what kind of conversion is that? But you know the Catholics did exactly the same thing, and the Catholics fought the Crusades in the Middle Ages. I mean, when I mention these things in history, would you please listen to your preacher and do not read the history of the Crusades? Would you please do that? You will just fill your mind with details and things that will not help you serve Christ. Uh, They were dark ages for a reason. Because the deeds of both Christian and heathen were no different. And what we find out when we open the pages of this book called the Bible is that if you commit sin, you've transgressed God's law. God never condones sin. Amen? Jesus came to take away sin. Amen? In Him is no sin. So does that help you when we get down to verse 10? I mean, verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Hello? Do you get it? If I can put it this way. If you are serving God under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God, you will not commit sin. But let me ask you this question. How many of you have tried to serve God and tried to do the things that the Bible said and tried to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and still did something wrong? Would you raise your hand, please? Okay? God's not responsible for that. We are. You see, this whole idea of sinlessly, per, sinless perfection, and it's, and it's presented in actually two major different ways. Uh, one is if you will read what is known as the mystic uh, writers. Um, this was a part of the holiness movement that developed around the turn of the last century, uh, much of it had influence from the speaking in tongues movement that developed at the same time. Some of it was totally separate from that. But it was some people seeking holiness. And I want to tell you that even though these people had some very serious doctrinal errors, uh, the Christian and Missionary Alliance was started by a Presbyterian pastor uh, Second Avenue Presbyterian Church, I believe it was. I know it was on Manhattan. It was either second or fifth. Uh, and, and he was one of the preeminent preachers in the Presbyterian Church. But they were all Calvinists. And no one would do anything to reach the people. 
And he got such a burden by hearing the stories of Adoniram Judson and William Carey and multitude of others who had gone all over the world. He said, there is something wrong with a church that won't send missionaries. Had no intention of starting his own denomination, but people left the Presbyterian organization. Of course, they did not require baptism like we do or any of those things. They just transferred their membership from the First Presbyterian Church to, to um, Mr. Simpson, or Reverend Simpson's church. And, and pretty soon, he had little churches springing up all over the country, and they started their own movement. In fact, uh, their main college was Nyack Bible College, just up the river here in Nyack, New York. Uh, I've seen some advertisements for that college you, you would not know that it had any Christian roots whatsoever by reading their materials or looking at the things. But when my uncle attended that college for one year in 1922, that was my uncle, um, he uh, started seven churches for the Alliance. And he was a godly man. And, but he believed you could lose your salvation because that's what Mr. Simpson taught. But I found out something. I would talk to him and we would, and I was, as, as just a young boy, uh, I tried to be careful not to be disrespectful in any way and not to argue because I know that doesn't work with a situation like that. But you know what I found out about my Uncle Blair? was he believed other people could lose their salvation, but he never lost his. You know why? It wasn't because he was trying to keep his salvation and believed that he had reached a state of sinless perfection is what this passage wrongly uh, is, is wrongly suggested in this passage by many. It was that he knew he was reaching out for something to serve the Lord, but the Lord had a hold of him. Philippians chapter 3. He wouldn't put it in those words, but after many times of hours of discussing things with him, it was pretty easy to put together point. Now, if you believe that you keep your salvation by the things you do, are you saved? No. Because your faith is in you. And not in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why if someone comes to us from a church like that, we do not accept baptism from a church like that. Because the authority is in the Word of God. And when you deny the Word of God, as it teaches very simply about salvation, you lose authority to baptize. Uh, I've had people say, oh, you rebaptized." No. It wasn't done right the first time. So it's not baptism. We, we baptize. Uh, we do not consider it scriptural baptism. The other comes from some groups that are even associated with the Baptist, and it's loosely called Lordship Salvation. And, and what they mean by that is simply, if Jesus is truly your Lord, then you're not going to involve yourself in certain activities. Now, there's some truth to that statement. But did David do some pretty terrible things? I read one commentator and he was trying to say that, well, someone who's truly saved will not run to sin with abandon. And my first thought was, that sounds pretty close to what David did. How about, how about you? Uh, you see, we try to read into this passage all kinds of things. But what John is really trying to say here is when a Christian sins, it's not because he was being obedient to Christ. That is the best understanding I can give you to this passage. 
Because you see, on the obverse of that, I'll illustrate it this way. We used to meet in the building of a Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, the reason they're called Seventh-day Adventist is because they believe that the true day to worship Jesus is the Sabbath, and they're still keeping the Old Testament law, and they say just because you're saved by grace does not mean that you're not under an obligation to keep the law. And so I asked the caretaker of the building one time. I said, you guys drive your cars to church on Sabbath, don't you? He said, well, of course we do. I said, don't you understand you're breaking the Sabbath? The Jews don't do that. They know what the Sabbath means. See, you turn on the light switches. The, the synagogues either hire someone to do it for them, or they put them on timers. No Jewish person turns the lights on in a synagogue. That's why they do not have instruments in a synagogue. Because the pushing of the keys would be considered breaking the Sabbath. All the music is done uh, uh, without instrumental accompaniment. Because they are trying to keep the Sabbath. And so I asked this man who was the caretaker who really gave us a lot of grief. I mean, he did a lot of things that were just absolutely dishonest. He would take our sign down Sunday after we left after the morning service. And if somebody came by and knocked on the door during the week and would say, uh, does the Baptist church meet here? He'd say, no, come to our services on Sunday. You see, it's okay to do something wrong if you're trying to do something right. Did I illustrate that fairly well? You can break the Sabbath by driving your car, turning on the light switches. You can uh, uh, be a little bit on the dishonest side to keep people from attending a church that doesn't teach what you teach. Uh, if you have to be just a little bit on the shady side or tell a half-fib... Uh, uh, there's no such thing as a half fib. There's no such thing as half a hole. Uh, if you dig one, uh, it, it's a hole. And if you tell one, it's a lie. And, and yet, these people claim to worship God. And in their worship is sin. Everybody does it. How many of you have heard the joke about the priest and the confessional? The Baptist preacher and the priest were going fishing. And uh, the priest said, listen, I've got three more people in line here at the confessional. He says, you take care of them while I'm getting my gear. And he says, I'm a Baptist preacher. I don't do that. He said, no, it's real simple. Let me show you. And and so um, the person told him what they did wrong. And he said, uh, you know, put... Put this in the offering plate, see so many Hail Marys, and come back and see me next week. And, and so, oh, okay, I got it. And someone told, the next person came up and told him one sin. He says, is that all you did? He said, we're having a three-for-one sale this week. Uh, so you can put so much in the offering plate, say so many Hail Marys, and you can sin twice more and come back and see me next week. And, and people, that was actually a Catholic joke, not a Baptist one, by the way. They laugh at that kind of stuff. It's funny. I hope I get killed on the way from confessional because I'll go straight to heaven. I've heard Catholic people say those things. Listen, what this passage is talking about here. Little children... Well, let's get verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Do you understand what that verse is saying in the context of, of what we've tried to put this thing? You see, if you are truly being obedient to Christ, you're not going to sin. 
But if you have a false religion, if you have a false faith, if you are a false professor in Jesus Christ, you're going to make allowances to sin as part of your faith. And in Him is no sin. Are we together yet? Go like this. And so, we get down to, to, to verse 7. It says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of God made manifest, was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So, do not be deceived when someone who has true faith in Jesus Christ gets it right and does something righteous, it's because God is working in his life. And when someone makes allowances and says, well, God understands, he made us this way, uh, it... it uh, uh, God saved everything but his mouth. I've heard people say that because the person couldn't stop swearing or saying bad words. Or uh, When you make those kinds of excuses, don't be deceived. That's not Bible Christianity. God does not make allowances for sin, he paid for everyone on the cross. Amen? God doesn't make excuses. I've had people say, well, just, God just understands who I am and what I'm about. Yes, he does. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross, just as he understands who I am and what I'm about and every other human being. That's why it says, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say, for God so loved the elect, or for God so loved the saved. It says He loved the world. He loved everybody the same. And, and we need to understand that if we can live a life characterized by sin, if we can go out into the world and get their advice on music that we need to worship God, that's what this passage is talking about. If we want to go to unsaved people in how to present the gospel, it's called marketing. We don't market Jesus here. He is not for sale. Because even if you gain the whole world, you couldn't buy one second of heaven. Those were the words of Jesus himself. And so, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Is not talking about sinless perfection, my friend. It's talking about the fact that in my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, based upon the Word of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ, there is no sin. And yet, how many religions offer sin as part of the way to get to God? Do you know that according to the Quran, that it is okay for me to lie to you, to deceive you, to steal from you, as long as it promotes the cause and the teachings of Muhammad? Uh, we call that situation ethics. And we have Baptist preachers out there today that say, listen, 
It doesn't matter if, if I don't teach hard against sin, because I get people in the church and they say they love Jesus. Just because it has a rock and roll beat to it and, and they like it, uh, doesn't mean that it's bad. They played some Christian rock and roll music. I can't even remember the group. I don't want to remember the name for Howard Stern. I just remember the story. How many people know who Howard Stern is? Probably the most filthy man in media today. And somebody played the song. He said, hey, that's kind of cool. And the person that played it for him was trying to trick him. He said, don't you know that's a Christian song? Listen to the words. He said, I don't care if it's Christian or not. I like it. It's got a nice beat to it. It moves nice. I, I like the way it sounds. Could I challenge you that if Howard Stern likes it, we ought not offer it to God in worship? Do you think that could be what this passage is talking about? I believe it is. I believe that is the simplest understanding of this passage. It says, in this the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should... Love one another. Now, I, I think, and, and I believe with all my heart, that we, we really don't understand what love is the way we ought to. And, and later on here, it's going to say, here's the, here's the test of love. God gave His life. He laid down his life. So we ought to lay down our life for others. Now, I, I'm very thankful that we do not live in a world where people come through the church door with machine guns and, and, uh, and weapons and start killing people because they're in church. Uh, many times that did happen in years past. John Bunyan spent 12 years in prison because he would not accept a license from the state, from the government of England to be a preacher of the gospel. And at the end, the government relented and John Bunyan got to be a preacher without a government license. He changed the laws through his obedience to this book called the Bible. You see, that's what this passage is talking about. We don't change our doctrine to accommodate the world. But the world always does. The world, a false religion is very similar to the laws in New York City. Here's how it works. You are not allowed to park in front of the church. No parking any time. Loading or unloading only. That's what it says. Unless you have an on-street parking permit, you can park between 8 a.m. and 10 p.m., depending on the hours that your permit has. And we have one of those for the church, so we can park church van there during that time. If you have a handicap permit, you can actually park in front of the church any time for as long as you want. And we have people that will pull up on Sunday morning just as people are getting out and park in front of the church and hinder people getting in and out of the church. But they're allowed to park there even though it says no parking. See, that's the way New York City works. And that's the way all false religion works. This is the rule. Unless, well, if you're willing to put a little extra in the offering plate, we might just look the other way. I think I've told the story. Of one of my fellow Bible college students brought this in. It was dated 1921. It had the imperature of the Pope alive at that time. I don't know what his name was, but uh, the document was there. It was all in Latin. It said it was a plenary indulgence. And it named his grandfather. And it says, 
This is to certify that so-and-so and all of his descendants in perpetuity are free from all sins, both mortal and ve- both venial and mortal, and shall never, <coughs> excuse me, be judged of God for anything that they do. Because he had dropped like $100,000 in the offering plate in the Vatican City, got an audience with the Pope and a plenary indulgence for himself and his family in perpetuity. Excuse me. Does that sound like... And do you know that he was manifested to take away our sin and in him is no sin? This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Does, does that story kind of clash with those Bible verses? If, if you think that's an agreement, let me know because we'll have to start next week and spend a lot of time on this thing. But it's in direct opposition to what these verses talk about. You can't buy your way out of sin. And yet that was part of the religion. And I'm not just trying to pick on the Catholics tonight. Almost every religion has this kind of thing in it. It says that we should love one another. What is love? We're going to get to the definition of love when we get to chapter 4. How many know the verse? Say it with me. God is love. God is love. Well, if God is love, then how can I love you and influence you to disobey God? I'm challenging you, it can't be done. So, young ladies, when that boy says, listen, we love each other and it's okay, you better know something for sure. He doesn't know God, doesn't know anything about God, that didn't come from God. That is the devil being made manifest in that selfish manipulative life. Get out of there. He said, but he'll change. I don't care if he changes or not. I don't want my daughter being around anyone capable of thinking like that. Because that's not what builds a good marriage. That's not what builds a relationship. And yes, we would want this person to get right and solve all those problems. And God can forgive sins and change lives. But I don't want a false profession in hopes of rekindling a relationship. Do you see what's going on here? If you're really right, you understand that you blew that one And you go find another one and start over again the right way from the very beginning. You see, this is the message. Not as Cain. Cain was of the devil. Why did Cain kill his brother? Because Abel's righteous works condemned and showed and displayed. Abel's righteous work displayed Cain's evil works. And unless Cain was willing to back up and go get a lamb, just like Abel did, nothing was going to solve the problem. And Abel said, listen... I'm not backing up. What I did was the best that I could, and that's good enough. God said no. And so Cain thought he would solve the problem by killing his brother. If you want to know why we have so much hatred in the world of religion today, right there it is. 
You know, Baptists are the only people, the only religion that has fought for the freedom of other religions is the Baptist. Because we believe that if you want, you have the right to approach God any way you want. But we have the right to open up the Bible and tell you, you are wrong. That's what makes everybody hate us. And that's why the verse here says, marvel not, my brethren, verse 13, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now this is a hard passage here. But how many of you remember what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer? How many of you have memorized it from the Bible instead of the thing you were taught as little children? Let's go to Matthew chapter 6 for just a moment. And we'll be done. We'll have to stop here tonight. But I just want you to see this. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 12. And... Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you get that? Part of my prayer is, dear God, this is the pattern. You forgive me my sins against you. Exactly the same way that I forgive others their sins against me. Now, don't raise your hands, but how many of you would miss heaven? Well, that's what this passage is saying. You are. I don't care how religious you feel. I don't care how uh, wonderful that you feel when you get alone with God. The Bible says that if we cannot forgive others... We do not have Christ's forgiveness. It's just that simple. And what is our first plea? But you don't know what they did to... Wait a minute. What's it say? Sin is a transgression of law. And in him is... No sin. Jesus wasn't just saying something nice when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was paying the price for their sins on the cross. They had to do that. The Roman centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. On that profession, I hope to see him in heaven. Amen? And so, as we go through this passage, back to John chapter 3. It tells us and gives us these examples and then it says in verse 20, if our heart condemn us not. Well, you know why our heart will condemn us or not condemn us? It ought to be, how many of you have ever had the Holy Spirit of God condemn you for something you did or allowed in your life? If you're saved, you've had that happen to you. That's what this verse is talking about. You see, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But when I get born again, I get a brand new one. I get the Holy Spirit of God Himself living inside of me. And it is He. If you have any questions about that, read the last verse. It says, By the Spirit 
which he hath given us. Now, I, I feel like I've preached all around this chapter. And so I want you to pray with me this week that we could maybe go through it next week in a little more orderly fashion and kind of put things together uh, uh, and just, but what I've tried to do tonight is lay the groundwork for understanding what is being said here. This is not talking about some sinless perfection. This is not talking about if you sin after you're saved, you can't, you lose your salvation. What this is talking about is in Jesus Christ, there is no sin. And when we get it right, we're not sinning. You cannot sin by being obedient to the Bible. But every one of us has sinned by trying to be obedient to the Bible. That's the work of the devil. By the way, that's the work of Antichrist, isn't it? That's why 1 John chapter 1 is there. First, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. How many of you glad chapter 1 is chapter 1 and chapter 3 is chapter 3? Can we say amen to that at least? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us as we try to overcome all of the misconceived ideals that are in and about this passage. And Lord, that you would just give us a clear and simple understanding. And Lord, that you would give us a greater commitment to just simply love you your word and those around us. And Lord, that you would help us understand what true love is. Lord, we need so much work. We, we need so much help in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts to grasp these things. Lord, we ask that you would work, that you may get honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish our prayer, we'll just have the piano play. If you need to slip out, spend a little time in.